0: Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. We're your hosts on this pop culture journey together, digging into camp, cult, and classic moments in history for discussion. Thanks everyone for tuning in to listen.
1: In our first season, we're exploring pop culture Christmas moments, and we're calling it We Wish You a Campy Christmas.
0: In today's show, we're going to discuss some of our favorite TV sitcoms and the ratings juggernaut that is the special holiday-themed episode. Let's begin.
1: So today we're talking about the Christmas sitcom. We're calling it the Christmas sitcom gauntlet. We're taking four sitcoms that span the 1970s through the 1990s and going back in time, discuss their Christmassiness, figure out what works with them as holiday episodes, revel in the miracle of a Christmas holiday sitcom episode. <music> So what we're going to do now is get in our time machine and head back to December 18th, 1977 for Alice and a Semi Merry Christmas. All right, we have arrived back in time to the era of rising gas prices and bell-bottom jeans. No, that is not today. We are in December 1977, December 18th exactly, and we are going to talk about the classic sitcom Alice. Eric, do you know much about Alice? Do I ever? I love Alice. Alice lasted nine seasons. It really went into the mid-80s, making it kind of one of the longest sitcoms ever to air, which I kind of find surprising given that. I think when people think back on the great American television show of the 20th century, I'm guessing most people aren't putting Alice in their top 10 (laughs) list.
0: Yeah, but it's having quite a resurgence now. I think reruns are running, or they used to run on Logo. It pops up on Antenna or MeTV, those those types of retro cable channels, for sure.
1: I think that's just because people miss going out to eat at a diner during the pandemic. Who doesn't
0: love a good greasy spoon?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, that's there you go. That's the premise of Alice, right? Follows the story of a waitress played by the excellent Linda Lavin, uh, as she, uh, I think she leaves New Jersey, goes to Arizona, works in a diner.
0: You've watched this show, right, Eric? Oh, many, many times. Yes. And it's amazing. It blows people's minds to realize that it is a spin-off spin-off uh, or a TV interpretation of a Martin Scorsese film.
1: I know one that won an Oscar for um, Ellen Burstyn, right?
0: Yeah, I believe yeah. so
1: yeah just kind of crazy alice doesn't live here anymore mm-hmm. uh if you love alice doesn't live here anymore and then you start watching alice you'll probably be like how the fuck are these connected <laughs> they're, it's a very different take on it don't you think
0: absolutely but they both have the same mel so they, there's they that. do
1: they do both have the same mel which is lovely
0: Low handles everything
1: from the cradle to the grave Well, let's let's dig into this episode for a couple minutes. I'm going to give a quick overview of the plot and then talk a little bit about why I picked it for today. So the plot of Alice's A Semi Merry Christmas. This is the second season of Alice. And so it's still kind of a young show. She wants to take her son to Colorado so that he can experience a white Christmas. Now, get white Christmas is often in Arizona. So she wants to take him into the mountains of Colorado. But to do that, she needs a Christmas bonus from Mel and mel in his typically cranky way says no and the reason why is because of inflation how very pertinent to today's times (laughs) and then weirdly enough like the next day a truck driver comes into the diner and i don't think this actually works this way but suspend your disbelief for a second the truck driver wants to spend time with his wife Uh, And Mel says, well, I'm closing the diner for a few days for Christmas. Why don't I drive your truck to Colorado with all of your things you're delivering in it? And the truck driver's like, sure, that'd be great. Here are the
0: keys. (laughs) Right, (laughs) (laughs) sitcom rules apply here.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's a nice gesture because then Mel goes over to Alice and says, hey, I'm now driving a semi-truck to Colorado. Would you and your son like to cop on board and go? And so Alice, her son, the waitress Flo, Vera, another waitress, and Mel all climb into the bed of a semi-truck, driving up the highway to Colorado. Shenanigans ensue. Mel decides to give the keys to Alice to drive. Alice somehow gets them stuck in a snowdrift, and they worry about having to spend Christmas in a semi because they're in bad weather. But the moral of the story is they get their white Christmas, and of course, they get saved by the end of the episode. Anything I'm leaving out there that you would want to throw in,
0: No, I think you covered it beautifully. It is odd that Mel invites Alice in the semi to go on this run and she's like oh let me invite the other waitresses and, and they're like oh yeah we'll just do that also it's very odd it's very odd because then it makes it seem
1: like nobody who works at Mel's Diner has any family <laughs> or any <laughs> other plans for the holidays I will say Flo Polly Holiday is a gem in this episode one of my favorite moments is when she gets on the CB radio <laughs> and starts <laughs> talking to other truckers and she gets known as hot Cargo and, <laughs> and <laughs> And uh, the way she banters with the other truckers on the CB radio is well worth the 23 minutes of watching this episode. It is priceless.
0: You know, these old sitcoms, when they remind you of things that just don't exist today, like ham radio,
1: they also needed a physical map to <laughs> get them <laughs> to Correct. figure out where they were going, uh, as opposed to just looking on their phone or having Waze tell them. Here's the reason I wanted to pick this just to kind of like wrap up this discussion of Alice. I don't actually think Alice is remembered as being one of the best sitcoms in sitcom history. It's just not, but it really did last forever. And this episode to me is very symbolic of what made Alice both good, but also potentially maybe not great. And the reason I say that is, it's not an episode where there's zinger, zinger, zinger. In fact, there's some moments where it's actually a little bit silent, like especially when they're in the truck and they're all driving on the road, there's like a couple scenes where maybe Mel yells at Vera to stop reading the road signs, but then there's just kind of not a lot of bangers for laughs. It's just banter to fill space. But you also don't mind that. And this is why I think it makes Alice such a unique sitcom. It didn't rely on needing to be funny every single second that those characters were on camera, you actually started to just care for those characters. And so even if it wasn't laugh out loud every single second, you were still willing to buy in for the, the the chuckles that you would get throughout the episode. And I just think that's pretty
0: remarkable. Probably the longevity of Alice and the laughs is because of the characters. The lines aren't inherently funny Or the jokes like as written aren't funny, but they're the character. Oh, that's funny because Vera's a dingbat. Who they are is much more in the mold of like a Parks and Recreation or or a Seinfeld. It becomes funny because the longer you watch the show, the more you are into these characters and that, oh, that's so flow.
1: Totally. And this was, I think, the 39th episode in in the second season. So people knew who these characters were. And so you were already bought in on the joke really with them, which I really love.
0: This episode for me is very indicative of Linda Lavin's acting throughout the entire series. She delivers every line as if she's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> like everything that she is reacting to, something that Mel did, she's just almost not going to make it. The other thing I I will mention about this episode is it's interesting in the sense that for a long running sitcom like Alice they had to find ways to get them out of the diner and also include all of the cast so as you're as we're describing how zany this is and how weird it is that this group would actually be going on this Christmas trip together it's just part of kind of the conceit and it is nice to see them away from the diner They're in the semi-track, but they're also constrained by sitcom budgets. You know, they can't just go on a like vacation to Hawaii and show that on location. It's also a tiny set.
1: Yeah, and you're totally right. This probably affected shows like Cheers, where you're stuck in a bar, or Alice, you're stuck in a Mm -hmm. diner, or where you're just like stuck in a location because it's so central to the plot. And it is actually like a refreshing thing. It's probably one of the only episodes this season that gets all of them consistently out of the, the diner, which is sort of also another reason this stands out. All right, well, that is our first Christmas sitcom. Again, it's called A Semi-Merry Christmas from December 1977. How about we hop in the time machine, and I think we're jumping up to the 1980s now, right? Yes.
0: We've arrived on December 14th, 1987, just in time for the hour-long double episode of ALF's Special Christmas Mike, have you seen Alf's special Christmas? Do you remember? Uh,
1: I sure have. I'm so glad you've taken this time machine to Melmac uh, so that we can <laughs> visit with Alf Lucky the Cat and the rest of the cast of characters from this show.
0: For those who don't know Melmac from Mel's Diner, ALF was the story of a short, furry alien who crash-landed on Earth and was taken in by the Tanner household, who do their best to keep the secret under wraps, knowing full well the government will want to experiment on him. I mean, clearly they've seen (laughs) E.T. So on to the Christmas episode. The Tanners head to the country where they plan to spend Christmas in the woods, but Alf climbs into the cabin owner's van and accidentally is taken to a children's hospital, where Mr. Foley, the cabin owner, played by Blazing Saddles' plevon Little, dresses up as Santa and distributes repaired and donated toys to sick children. Seems heartwarming enough, right? Well, this ends up being the most depressing Christmas TV episode ever created. During the course of the show... Alf encounters Tiffany, a young girl who has a terminal illness. He gets stuck in an elevator and has to deliver a baby and then talks Santa Foley down from jumping off a bridge and committing suicide because he's so distraught over his dead wife. Just your standard holiday fare here. What do you think, Mike? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Chuckles all around for sitcom?
1: (sighs) Oh, I'll tell you what, I couldn't stop weeping throughout this episode. (laughs) Um, But that said, I think they do a nice job of making it still have some of the lovable things that made Alf Alf. And these are somewhat riffs on Christmas specials or movies Mm -hmm. of the past. Like, it's a wonderful life vibe there. It it plays out in this episode a little bit. So, yes, you might need a therapy appointment after this episode.
0: (laughs) Actually, this is very intentional. The backstory of this is that it's based on a true story. ALF creator Paul Fusco said he used to do a lot of make-a-wish visits at hospitals because kids would write to ALF and he'd get calls from doctors. So there really was a nine-year-old Tiffany suffering from leukemia in the hospital, and she was a big fan of ALF. So Paul did a video conference with her. And when NBC president Brandon Tartikoff saw it, somehow he thought this would make a great Christmas special. NBC brass saw no problem with this. They were like, (laughs) yep, this is great. There is no happy ending here.
1: Well, and in this episode in particular, I mean, the the most laughs come from, at least for me, the scene where Alpha's stuck in the elevator with the woman who's (laughs) basically about to give birth and somehow has a book called having babies, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> able to read quickly. One of the things Alf was just good at was being absurd. Mm. And this was like the absurd element of this episode to me uh, that just anchored it in what people knew Alf and, uh, knew Al for and what they loved Alf for. And so that part I think really, really works. I love and I appreciate the sentimental journey mm. that this episode is structured around. It's tricky though, because it feels more after school special to me than sitting mm-hmm. The other thing I really liked about this was, so the central premise of Alf is that he's not supposed to be discovered by anybody. Mm -hmm. And yet in this episode, strangers are interacting with him in ways that just were hard to do throughout the rest of the series arc. Toward the end of the episode, Alf takes a Polaroid And Mm -hmm. gives it to Tiffany. There's this great line from MeTV's review of this episode. Good thing nobody had Instagram back in 1987, (laughs) or the alien task force would have shown up much sooner. And I think that's totally such a funny thing. Oh yeah, nobody's supposed to know who Alpha is, but there's safety in giving a Polaroid to a dying child. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like Alice you had to get the characters out of their regular environment or it was going to get stagnant. Even creator Paul Fusco didn't think ALF could last much longer than the four-season run it got if they kept the plots largely confined to the Tanner's house. In fact, the show ended on a cliffhanger with ALF caught by government agents. And if the show continued, he proposed a drastically different storyline. I'm always really in awe of the creator who was approached apparently by Disney felt very strongly about keeping Alf and keeping creative control over it. And I have mad props for that.
1: The fact that it was never, you know, he was never able to be like Disney-fied or Mm -hmm. Mm Marvel-fied or Pixar-fied or anything like that, that does kind of add to this element of like, you know, he's special in a place and time and sure he continues to pop up. But he's still to me like very much rooted in the late 80s.
0: Once he leaves this mortar world like Tiffany, we might not get any more Alf, but I think that's good. I think it's a good thing.
1: I agree. Uh, I actually think it's a really good thing. And, uh, you know, Paul Fusco did go on to also make. A, a very short-lived cartoon series that I love, I've written about actually for Pop Trash Museum, Space Cats. It was a 1991 cartoon where he's his voice is in it and he sounds so much like Alf. Yeah. So it feels like as he's narrating that show and is the character of a cat in that show that it's like a cat version <laughs> of Alf. Um, right. And I just love that he's just kept such a, a a close and tight grip on this character through the years.
0: Should we step back into the pop trash time machine and head forward a bit?
1: We just traveled 10 years to get to ALF, but now I think we're only traveling a year to get to 1988. Is that right? Sounds like a short trip to me. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. All right. We just jumped forward one year to December 1988. And we're talking about one of my favorite sitcoms of the entire 80s, early 90s, Night Court. And I just love this episode, and I also just love this show. So quickly, there's a judge, there's lawyers, there's bailiffs, there's a court reporter, and they all oversee a night court in New York City that hears small level cases throughout all hours of the night. So a lot of the really bizarre cases get sent to night court where this zany cast of characters hears them. This episode, the night court before Christmas, here's what happens. There are two bailiffs. There's Bull, the classic one that a lot of people know. He was like seven foot tall and bald and Roz, who was played by Marsha Warfield, she was the third bailiff after other ones died. (laughs) They're taking Toys for Tots over to a home for disadvantaged children, and they accidentally grab the wrong toys. They grab toys from a toy executive who gets pissed off that his toys have been taken and he's out $30,000 in toy money. And so he tells the judge, played by Harry Anderson, to put Roz in jail unless she goes back and takes the toys away from the disadvantaged children. Roz refuses to do that. Roz, remember all those toys you just distributed? Uh-huh. Do you remember where you delivered them? Uh-huh. Well, it turns out they're evidence. We have to get them back.
0: Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Judge, this is contempt!
1: Roz, I don't think you understand. If you withhold those toys, that's an obstruction of justice. You can go to
0: jail. I'm sorry, Your Honor, but I'm not going to go back and look those deprived little tykes in their eyes and snatch their toys from them.
1: And so Roz has to spend Christmas in jail and everybody is mad at the judge and mad at this toy executive. It does resolve itself at the end, of course, but the journey of this episode is is a friendship, what it means to have the spirit of Christmas. And it's just a funny episode because this show had so much zaniness, quirkiness, just weird humor that you would think might not exist today, but they're rebooting it. So John Larroquette, who is one of the lawyers on the show, is part of the production of a new version of Night Court that's going to start, uh, I think, airing on NBC or Peacock later in 2022, which I love. And I'm so curious to see how they take what is a show that really felt like it belonged in the 80s, early 90s, and the humor mm-hmm. like probably lands there and maybe doesn't land today, but how they put a modern interpretation on it to mm-hmm. make it resonate with audiences. So... That's a gist. I'll talk more about the episode in a second. But Eric, general thoughts on Night Court?
0: I've seen it here and there. I was not a stalwart uh, watcher of Night Court, but I get that it's basically the Judge Judy, but at night. Crazy cases, the people that would be arrested and appear before the court. The zanier, the better. This is a sitcom. It's not a drama. It's not the practice. It's, It's not that type of a thing.
1: No, it is literally one bizarre thing after another. And what makes this show so special is how the cast connects to each other. You have Harry Anderson as Judge Harry Stone. You have John Larroquette as the attorney Dan Fielding. You have Marsha Warfield as a bailiff named Raj. You have Richard Mull as Bull, the other bailiff. And you have Marky Post, who is one of my favorite 80s actresses <laughs> who recently passed away, actually. She's the, the defense attorney. And it's basically putting them all up against each other every single episode. And again, it's. Not not just the Toys for Tots, the craziness that plays out in this episode. But at its core, that show to me and this episode, it's about love, love between colleagues who grade on each other's nerves or maybe your decisions, you, you don't always agree with their decisions but they're your family in so many ways, given that you spend countless hours with these people. And then I think the second thing that you pick up on is how it has that punch around this time that happens where it reminds you of the meaning of Christmas.
0: You know, everybody says, oh, these episodes are like hokey and it has to be wrapped up in 30 minutes. I mean, it's a feat to do that and to do just what you described, to have an ensemble cast, to feel that it's somewhat authentic and that you have that warm feeling about it.
1: Again. I don't know that anyone would put Night Court on a list of the 10 best sitcoms in the history of television, but it lasted from like 1984 to 1992 and was such a staple of 80s television, even though it was never a number one show, it kind of bounced in the ratings depending on the season. It just had such affection in its audience that it was able to really sustain itself for close to eight, I think eight seasons, which is really incredible. I mean, how often do you get an eight season
0: sitcom today? pop trash time machine lurch forward to December 19th 1995 where we land on a sitcom called news radio not one of the most popular sitcoms of all time in fact in its time I think it was always on the cancellation block like Night Court, had a great ensemble cast. I mean, it just doesn't get better than this. You've got Dave Foley, Stephen Root, Andy Dick, uh, Maura Tierney, Candy Alexander, and the great Phil Hartman. So many good characters. So quickly, here's the plot of this Christmas episode of News Radio. And it's not complicated. The staff at the station are bummed by the lame gifts they've received from their boss, and upon hearing about it, Jimmy James decides to rectify the situation by giving them better gifts that they actually want. For six of them, that means brand new sports cars, and for Matthew, played by Andy Dick, because he's a lover of old-timey radio plays, he gets a set of cassette tapes of the full series of Fibber McGee and Molly.
1: Hey, Dave,
0: what'd you get? Um sports car. Oh. I got tapes. And we all got cars. Woo-hoo!
1: Okay, well I'm gonna head upstairs and I'll be in the office listening to my old uh radio tapes if anybody wants to come up and join me. Screw that! Anyone wanna take a ride in my car? what radio executive would have the money to give staff sports
0: cars (laughs) like yeah he's independently wealthy yeah one of those sitcom rules apply here
1: i do think the best part about this episode though is the 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 santa claus that stalks (laughs) phil hartman (laughs) that is such a wise take you're a dead man (laughs)
0: come on bill come on
1: that man just threatened to kill him. And Phil Hartman's character throughout most of news radio is kind of like the Ted Baxter, right? Mm-hmm. Of the very into himself. Uh, and the fact that there is a stalker for him that is a Salvation Army Santa Claus just is a piece of art. It's really great.
0: What I like about news radio is, like Seinfeld, no lessons from episode to episode. That's
1: what it was able to be known for. I don't envy this show in the sense that it had to navigate a lineup with some pretty blockbuster hits for mm-hmm. NBC, right? Seinfeld was on during this time and Wings was on at this time. <laughs> and it was sort of, it was an explosive. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was like peak must-see TV, mad about you, right? And I don't think news radio ever was able to catch up right. to that level of critical acclaim and audience fervor. It almost has like an Mm alternative-esque vibe, mm -hmm. apathetic Mm -hmm. Daria caricatures in the 90s. And news radio to me fits that vibe because it doesn't force you to care about anything. I don't want to say like cynicism, but there's a little bit of that at the core of this show, which I think is what makes it work.
0: I think you're totally right about news radio being the too cool for school Sitcom. It's basically the 90s arrested development. Yeah. You know, always on the precipice yeah. of cancellation. If you were watching it in the beginning, you get that street cred for being on the inside. Must see TV and news radio. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Talk about a journey through, what, the 70s, 80s, 90s. We call it the Christmas sitcom gauntlet, not because we're pitting them up against each other. But I guess if you had to pick one of the four we've talked about, which one are you leaning into?
0: I mean, I got to go with Alice. It's comforting. You watch it and you know the people. It's like visiting a friend.
1: Yes, it's like a warm bowl of grits. Very comforting. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Uh, I would pick, I think I would pick Night Court. It's a, I'm a little biased because it is also one of my favorite sitcoms, but I think this particular episode is just a great retelling of the Christmas story, the spirit of giving at Christmas, uh, in you know, Night Court's own special way, and to me, it lands so well
0: well that brings us to the end of the episode and if you enjoyed it please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts you can also find a bevy of pop culture articles on poptrashmuseum.com and tune in to our next episode where we meet a cheeky little river otter who is determined to save christmas despite being hopelessly poor until then thanks for listening